0: Our Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of Exodus, first in chapter 25 and then in chapter 40. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. And then Exodus chapter 40, beginning in the 34th verse. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, The people of Israel would set out, but if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. The New Testament reading is from the second chapter of the book of Ephesians, beginning in the 19th verse.
1: Let's return to the scripture we read this morning in Exodus 25, 40, and 2, if you have your scripture sheets. If you don't, uh, hey, Rick, step out and get those scripture sheets, and if so, that I'm going to ask if anybody doesn't have them, because they're really necessary this morning. Young people, children, listen to me. Message this morning, don't have a lot of stories, have some but not a lot of stories. We're going to use a lot of scripture. That's why the scripture sheet this morning is more important than usual. But if I had, I have lived the last seven years trying to get across teaching and preaching what is our lesson this morning, what is the sermon this morning. Next to preaching, we're sinners who need a savior. We're sinners who need that cross. There's not a a more important message today for the church. And maybe this is the single most important for the people that know we're sinners and know Jesus Christ. I don't think there's more important message than the message this morning. So I encourage you. uh, As we pray in a moment, you pray and ask God to keep you awake, to rivet your mind to what's being said from this pulpit, not because of the ability or inability of the speaker, but for your sake, for your sake, for our sake, I pray that you will hear this message. Now, let's pray together. Our Father, we bow before you, and we first come as your priests, Father. As prophets, when we leave here, we want to take your word out to our neighbors, to our neighborhood, to our families, to the world around us, to our schools, to our jobs. We want to be witnesses, your prophets in those places. But here this morning, you've also called us to be priests To bring that which weighs heavy on our mind. To bring our neighbors, our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ before you. And this morning, we lay before you April Jeffries. Oh, Father, we pray. We thank you for the healing you've already brought to her. We pray that you would continue that healing and give her grace. We pray, Father, that she would have many, many, many years yet to live on this earth. We pray that you would bless her. Thank you for bringing the girls home safely from UT, and thank you for returning them safely when they return. We pray that they'll be a blessing while here to their mother and father. We pray for Claire Reddit and her eyes that you would bring healing to her eyes. For Ray Lynch, the same thing. We pray that Father is that you would bless his vision. Uh, Improve his vision. We pray for Charles Dawkins, Father, that you would bring healing, bring strength, bring physical strength, bring spiritual strength. We pray for Jim Bennington, for Billy Griggs, for Tom Morgan. Father, you know all of these needs. We don't have to speak them. You know our prayers before we say the words. We just pray that you would meet those needs. Thank you for what you've done among us, for what you're doing. And now as we open your word, we pray that, Father, we know that John Sartell cannot speak, so it will make any difference in our But we've hear, heard your voice in this room before, and we've been changed. And we pray this morning that you would continue to, that change in us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Changed some of us maybe for the first time, Father. And yours is the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Where can I go and meet with God? In our systematic study of the books of the Bible, we have been in Exodus for the last two weeks. This will be our last Sunday in Exodus. Of course, and we're looking at these books, we're looking at what's most important. How can I know what God is saying in these books? Well, in Exodus, the first week, we saw that we we focused on Israel being taken out. They were slaves for 300 years plus. They were there for 400 years totally. And God's deliverance of them. But it just wasn't about their deliverance. It was about the judgment of God on Egypt. He was at war with Pharaoh, the gods of Egypt, and the armies of Egypt. And he decimated. We talked about when God goes to war, then, as we talked about his judgment, then last week in, in Tyler's message, he focused on the second most important thing, or the, the, the center of, of Exodus. We went, with, we went with Israel to Sinai. God met them. He called them to Sinai and met with them to do what? To give them the law, to give them the Decalogue, to give them the commandments. And you say, well, that's it, isn't it? The Exodus out of Egypt, Sinai, that's the book of Exodus. There's there's no more major themes. Uh, Not so. There's one more major theme that you must know if you're to understand the book of Exodus. You want to hazard a guess what it is? It takes up about a third of the book. It takes up most of the chapters between 25 and 40, so it must be important. Question. Where do you, and I'm asking this, where do you meet with God? Where? You say, well, I can talk to him anywhere, anytime in prayer. That's certainly true. I can read his word. I can sit in my room at home and read his word. Yes, you can. But there's one place God has designated. There's one place that God has designated people can come and meet with him. You say, where's that? That's our subject this morning. God addresses the subject for the first time with Israel in Exodus. This is the first time he addresses that. If we want to understand where we go to meet with God, we must begin with the scripture that we read with Blake this morning. I want to begin by just saying the first point is this. God told Israel to build a dwelling for him. God told Israel to build a dwelling for him. We saw it. We read it in Exodus 25. Look at Exodus 25, 8 and 9. And let them make a sanctuary. I forgot to ask. Thank you, Rick, for getting them. Does anybody need a scripture sheet? Raise your hand if you need a scripture sheet. We'll get it to you. Right over here, Bill Ray really needs one. And then over here, Mary, thank you for raising your hands. feel like a Baptist this morning. Now let's read Exodus 25, 8, 9. The point is this, God told Israel to build a dwelling for him. Exodus 25, 8 and 9. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so shall you make it. This is a first. They had not had a permanent place together and meet with the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. This was a first. Let's look at it. The Hebrew word for sanctuary here is mikdosh. It means holy place, sacred space, a sanctuary. That's what a sanctuary is, a holy place. A sac- he said, make me, God saying, you make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. The Hebrew word is. Used is mishkan. It simply means dwelling. Sometimes it's called tabernacle. When they we use the word tabernacle, the word for tabernacle is the word dwell, dwelling. God said, "I'll give you an exact design for how to build this. What kind of dwelling did the people of Israel?" Have in which to live. They were traveling through a the wilderness. They were nomadic. How would you like to have lived in a tent? How long have you lived in your house? How long? How long have you lived in yours? It's pretty nice. What if you had to live in a tent for 40 years? Wow. What if you had to live in a tent? Some of you that are complaining, some of you wives are complaining about your house, or you kids are complaining about your house. Forget it. Think about living in a tent for 40 years. Israel lived in tents. Pack up the tent and move on. Go and stay a week in one place or a month or two weeks or maybe a night. And move on. Their dwelling places, their personal tabernacles were tents. God's tabernacle, his dwelling would be a tent. They couldn't build a brick or a a wooden structure that they couldn't move. Look at Exodus 27, 21. In the tent of meeting, outside the veil, is no, outside the veil that is before the testimony, Aaron and his son shall tend it from evening to morning before the Lord. What did he call it? The tent of meeting. didn't say tabernacle. He said the tent of meeting. After, after this chapter, after the building of the tabernacle, it was called the tent of meeting all through Exodus, all through Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It was always it was called the tent of meeting. Why was it where they gathered and had and, and, and had community meetings? No, it wasn't. That's not what a tent of meeting was. They were, it wasn't a tent of meeting where the people met with each other. It was where they met with God. That's the tent of meeting. That's where we go to meet with God. That's what they would have told you. That's that's our meeting place with God. Folks, this is our heritage. You want to know where we began? You want to know where Christ's Presbyterian Church began? This is where it began for us. Just what we read this morning. Later, this tent of meeting would be replaced by a temple in Jerusalem. Israel, after 40 years of wandering, they enter Canaan. Conquer Canaan? What did they do? Did they still live in tents? No, they built houses. Made out of of brick. Made out of wood. Look at 2 Samuel 7, 1. And when the king, that would have been David, and when King David lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. What was David saying to Nathan? Nathan was a great prophet. He said, Nathan, I'm going li- to build the Lord a house to dwell in. I'm going to be this tent of meeting. It's, it, it's old. And my house, I'm living in a fine house. God does not have a dwelling here that fits his name. And Nathan says, you go do what's in your well, God spoke to Nathan that night and said, that's not right, Nathan. David's not going to build my house. He can gather all the material from that house, but it's going to be Solomon, his son, that builds the temple. So in both instances, God told Israel to build a dwelling for him. Second. You want to understand this. God's presence made the tabernacle and the temple sanctuaries. God's presence made the tabernacle and temple sacred spaces, holy places. It was his presence that did that. You read these passages and you see that God gave very specific instructions for the construction of first the tabernacle and then the temple. Very specific. You know, you could go home and read this. If, if you're an engineer or architect, you can go home and read these passages and you could, you could draw out you could draw out a blueprint showing where every piece of furniture was, the design of every piece of furniture, and the design of the tents and then the building. God was that specific. But I want to ask you a question. Is that what made it a holy place? Now all of you have seen Indiana Jones in in the Ark of the Covenant, and you've seen all those different movies. And they they talk about wherever that goes, wherever the, the Ark of the Covenant goes, strange things happen and they act as if it as if that was the thing, as if that was the power. It was only a symbol. It was only a symbol. The Ark of the Covenant, or the design of the temple or the tabernacle that's not what made it sacred space no more than this pulpit or these walls or the design of this room makes this a sacred place that's not what makes it a sacred place what go back go back to moses remember when israel they were enslaved it was before this they'd been slaves for over 300 years in egypt horrible slavery terrible slavery and God is about to call Moses to deliver Israel, to go back to Egypt. Well, he has to get Moses' attention. So how does he get his attention? The burning bush. Remember that? As Moses had been raised in the schools of sophisticated schools of Egypt, he saw a bush burning, but it didn't burn up. And he said, what is that? And he began to walk toward it, and he got closer to it, and what happened? God spoke to him out of the burning bush. The fire stood for God's presence. And what did God tell him? Look at Exodus 3, 5. It's there on your sheet. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. What made it holy? God's presence. God was saying, you're approaching me. God Almighty. Be careful, Moses. I'm not a God with whom you can trifle. This is not a place to be casual. Let me ask you a question. Was that holy ground a hundred years later? There where the... No. Wasn't holy ground a hundred years later. It was only holy ground as long as God chose to reveal himself at that specific place. Well, with the tabernacle and with the temple, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was not coming to make a brief appearance like at the burning bush. He was not making a brief appearance at the tabernacle. He was not making a brief appearance at the temple. What does our text say? It's our text for the whole message. Exodus 25:8. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell. That word means live, abide. Where do you? You say to me, John, where do you live? I live at 60 Augusta Drive. You go there today, you expect to find me. You go there next week, you expect to find me. You go there a month, 30 years from now, you expect to find me. there. That's where I dwell. Now, what happens when you build a house? Some of you have recently are preparing to build a house. What happens when you build a house? You build for months and months, you plan, and then you build. And then what happens? There comes a day when you move. Into that house. This is beautiful. This is so beautiful. That's what God did. He said, build me a place to live. Build me a dwelling. And then God moved in. Look at Exodus. And if you've been asleep so far, shame on you. But wake up and look at Exodus 40:33. This is really important. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. In other words, all right, the tabernacle's done. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This is the burning bush all over again. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Work's done. House is done. God moved in. What happened? You want to see this happen again? What happened when the temple was finished and they moved you know, the, not the tabernacle. What happened later when Solomon had built the temple in Jerusalem to take the place of the tabernacle. They get it built and here come the priests with the ark of the covenant to carry it into the behind the veil in the holy of holies. And we take up right there. The priests are walking out of the Holy of Holies. Look at 1 Kings 8, 10 and 11. And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord. I love that. The house of the Lord. Do you know that this is a house of the Lord? We'll talk about that in a minute. And when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord. filled the house of the Lord. We've read that before. Several hundred years before that, when Moses finished the tabernacle. That's exactly what happened. So, Israel had a place to go and meet with God. If you would have been back there in the wilderness, where can I go and meet with God? Tabernacle. Where can I go in Jerusalem? Where can I go to meet with God? Temple. Temple. God told Israel to build a dwelling for him. God's presence made the tabernacle and temple sanctuaries, sacred space. That's what did it, God's presence. Now the point is this. In a similar manner, God took up residence in his church. So if I'm reading all this for the first time, what's a natural question? All right. Today, in February 2020, where can I go and meet with God? Where does God live today? Does he still meet with his people? How does he dwell among his people? All right, we're going to read several scriptures. You hang tight and you're going to see something that's absolutely fantastic. Jesus told his disciples that the Spirit of God would indwell them. Now, we always individualize this, and he does. The Holy Spirit changes his heart, and he abides with us individually. But most of the time, and much of the time, God is speaking not about dwelling with us individually, but dwelling with us corporately. Now, let's read. John 14, Jesus is speaking, and I will ask the Father, John 14, 16, and I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever. He's going to be with you forever. He's speaking, not just to Peter, not just to John. He's speaking to the disciples. These are the leaders of his church. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Now, you can read that, and you can apply it individually or corporately. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Certainly, Jesus was speaking of indwelling us individually. He was also speaking of indwelling all the disciples, of indwelling his church. Remember at the crucial point in the ministry of Jesus, when when Peter avowed that Jesus was indeed the Christ, Christ said, who am I? And Peter and the disciples said, you're the Christ, the son of God. You're the Messiah, the son of God. And Jesus said, on this rock, on the rock of your faith, on the rock of this faith, I will build my church. First time he began to speak about his church. One chapter, that was in Matthew 17. One chapter later, one of the greatest verses in all the gospels, is spoken by Jesus. It's in Matthew 18:20. Jesus said, "For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them." He was not talking about individual. Indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He was speaking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit with his church. He was speaking about the Holy Spirit living in his church. He said in Matthew 28, surely I'm with you to the end of the age. He was speaking to the church. I'm with you. He was saying, You'll take this church to the ends of the earth, even to Fayette County, Tennessee. And I will be in your midst. In the Old Testament, when God spoke of the tabernacle or the temple, He would sometimes say, That is the place where I put my name. You know what we do? Our houses. We put our name. That's Sartell House. Put my name there. 60 Augusta Drive. I had a sign that just says Sartell. It's a Sartell House. We identify it with a name. Well, look at Deuteronomy 12, 11 on your scripture sheet. Then to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. This is where you put my name. You didn't put David's name on the temple. You didn't put Solomon's name on the temple. It was God's dwelling. It was God's house. Look at 1 Kings 8.29. Solomon is praying about the temple. And he says this, may your eyes, he's he's speaking to God. He says, may God, may your eyes be open toward this temple night and day. This place of which you said, my name shall be there. What did Jesus say? It's not just where two or three gather. It's not Christians coming together at the Super Bowl. It's not Christians coming together at uh, Boy Scouts. It's not Christians coming together, you know, for a birthday. No. Jesus said, what was it? For where two or three come together in my name. In other words, he puts his name on the place. Just as he put his name on the temple? And tabernacle, wherever his people go, it's where he puts his name. This is how the apostles viewed the church. This is the most important passage this morning, more important than anything we've read in ex- Exodus. Because this, if if you, this is the, this is, this is where, this is where Exodus, in the building of the tabernacle, this is where, this is what it comes to. The building of the temple, this is what it comes to. Look at Ephesians 2, 19. So then you are no longer, he's talking church at Ephesus. And church of Ephesus has Jewish Christians in it, has Gentile Christians in it. And look what he says. So then you are no longer strangers or aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of, look at this, the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Every house has a cornerstone. Christ Jesus is the cornerstone of this building. He's a cornerstone of the building of God's church. You see, it's not this building that's a church. You're the church. We're the church. And Christ Jesus is our cornerstone in whom the whole structure is being joined together, grows into a holy temple, a sacred place in the Lord. In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God. That's what he says. Do you understand? It's not that God you comes this building tomorrow. It's not that God will dwell here. no, it's when the church assembles here like we're assembled this morning. that's where God dwells. He is in our midst. this morning, how did we begin? The Lord is in His holy temple. What were you saying? The Lord's here. You weren't talking about the temple in Jerusalem. You were talking about the temple in heaven. No. You probably thought, well, you know, He's talking about where God dwells in heaven. No. The Lord is in His holy temple. It's the people of God saying, We are God's people, and He dwells in our midst. There was a moment in time, we read it this morning, when God came to the tabernacle, when he went in. Remember that? There was a moment in time when God came. Remember the cloud? Look at again in Exodus 40, 34 and 35. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, the glory filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That happened in the New Testament. When did it happen? We were there just a few weeks ago. We talked about it. Look at Acts 2, 1 through 4. We're almost done. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. The the church was there. It was the disciples. The women were there. The, The church was there. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house while they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came to His church. What did we say that day? We didn't say it's an event that occurs over and over and over again. No, 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 no. I've heard people all my life pray for another Pentecost. You might as well pray for another crucifixion. It's not going to happen. You might as well pray for another incarnation. Incarnation took place, it was a one time event. God came in the flesh. God died. Jesus died on that cross one time in all of history. The Holy Spirit of the living God came to his church at Pentecost. And he hasn't ever left. He said, I'll be with you forever. I'll be with you forever. Well, you know. Why do we? What what happened? At first, in small groups met in people's houses, in upper rooms. They hid. They had to use symbols because they were persecuted. Sometimes they met out in fields. But they were the church. They didn't have a church building, but they were the church. They went to the catacombs in Rome, to the cemeteries, underground cemeteries in the catacombs, and they met there. Nobody went to the catacombs. Christians worshipped there. That became holy, sacred place. Why? Because the people of God were meeting, meeting there and God always met with his people. Well, you say, why did they build these great cathedrals? Why, why do we build these churches? Why are we at Christ Presbyterian Church we're going to build a sanctuary over there? We're going to meet in that sanctuary. Why, why do we do I mean, This is a sanctuary here now, temporary. Why, why are we doing this? What makes your family a family? Is it because you have a house that you're a family? No, you can live out of your back of your car and be a family. Things can go bad. You can lose your home, your house, and still be a family. You build that house to fit the needs of a family. When you, you in a business, you you have a business. You know, there's a reason there's a cash register. There's a reason there's shelves because that suits your business. When you build a house, it has a kitchen in it where you can cook. Family can meet around the table to eat. They have a place of rest, you have bedrooms and beds. Well, in God's house, you have a pulpit to hear the Word of God. You have a baptismal font for baptism. You have a Lord's table, you have that cross. You have this piano, you have musical instruments, you have a place for the choir, you have all these things. And they said, Hey, we've got to go a place. It's not the building. They understood. It's not the building that contains God. It's the people of God worshiping there. That's why we're building this. That's what we do. Special place. Now, i never forget my first visit to Lewisburg, West Virginia. There's an old stone church there. In fact, it's called the Old Stone Presbyterian Church. Above the door it's an old church. It was built in 1796, 200 years ago. And over the door, there's a big boulder and etched, not painted on, etched into the stone. Are these words. This building was erected in the year 1796 at the expense of a few of the first inhabitants of this land to commemorate their affection and esteem for the holy gospel of Jesus Christ. Reader, if you are inclined to applaud their virtues, you give God the glory. Wow. You picture that. Lewisburg, West Virginia. Mountains. Hard. These pioneers made their way back. And they decided, well, there's some water here, mountains. We can hunt in the woods. This is a good place we're building. So they started building their houses. They were Christians. Now we've got to build a place to meet with God. They put the church in the midst. That's happened over and over and over again. Well, why did they say they built it? Why did they say... Reader, if you're inclined to applaud their virtues, give God the glory. They were only doing what God called them to do. God, before they built, every time they got together when they were meeting outside or when they were meeting in somebody's home, God was with them. God was dwelling with them. But they said, We've got to build a house where the people of God can gather. And this house will fit our worship of God. And it will please God. It's only about his presence. Do you understand that? Sometimes we hear, well, I can worship God out in the field. I don't need to go to church on Sunday. I can worship God on the golf course on Sunday, preacher. You know how many times that's been said to me? I can worship God. Oh, I have great times, John, out in the duck blind. I know that. I love being in the duck blind. I love nature and I can see God's creation out there. It's a damn lie. Because you're looking at Almighty God in the face and say, I know that you dwell with your people and you've called them together. And you dwell in their midst when they gather. I don't need that, God. I can do that in a duck blind. You can't. I'm sorry. Or on the golf course or anywhere else. You are on those days when you're out there. You are not gathered. As a congregation. You are not gathered as a people of God. You're not. And that's what the church is. And that's what God's dwelling is. This week in New Jersey, President Trump held one of his famed rallies in an arena. That arena was packed to the hill. 7,500 people. They started arriving two days early. Outside that evening, there were 175,000 people. President Trump pales in comparison. To the presence of the transcendent, risen, ascended, and reigning Jesus. How much more should we run to the place on the Lord's day where we know Jesus is. And where Jesus dwells with his people. Amen. Our hymn. We're just going to sing what we just preached. Pay attention to the words. It begins, Glorious things of thee are spoken,